theyeshiva.net. Good morning, good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome to everybody who's joining us. A new day. Let us pray and hope that this day brings blessing and healing to the whole entire world, to the entire Jewish people, to all of you and to all of us. Thank you for joining us and welcome to all. We're going to continue learning the Mimer, the discourse that we began in this segment where we learn Machshava, Hashkafa, Chesidus. And we're learning a discourse on Pesach, a Mimer that began with the words Matzazushan O'Eichlam from the Haggadah. And you can go to the yeshiva.net and you have on the banner Chesidus today, uh, Thursday. Today is Thursday. What's today's date? March 19th, 2020. Orch of Gimel the 23rd of Adar, 5780. And below the video, you have the PDF, so you can open it up and follow inside. As I mentioned, all questions are welcome. I have here somebody who's Reb uh, who posts the questions. So feel free to write any question you want. For now, you could use either the YouTube uh, chat or Facebook, and God willing, we'll take some breaks and answer questions. So let's continue the mimer, and let me make sure everything is fine. What did we learn yesterday? Our main focus yesterday was, after discussing that the exodus of Egypt had to happen in haste, b'chipozoi, and the reason it had to happen in haste. It was the concept of fleeing, of running away. Running away from whom? Not only running away from the Egyptians, but running away from something inside of me that holds me back. And I have to forcibly, I have to, not forcibly, but I have to extricate myself. I can't just experience full calmness. There is a tension because I have to separate myself from something. It's like you're running away from somewhere because if you stay there, it's dangerous for you. When you're in a holistic state, when I'm in a completely holistic state, and we have such states we'll see later, then you don't have to run. You can walk. You can even walk slowly. Maybe you can even crawl. (laughs) But you could certainly take a very calm stroll. But when there's an inner tension and there's a voice that's pulling me back, so I need to extricate myself, identify the voice, and say, this is Mitzrayim, this is oppression, this is abuse, this is toxicity, this is trauma, this is dysfunctionality, this is a cover-up for pain, for loneliness, um, for any other Egypt that you're dealing with, whatever your form of exile is, but I don't have to be defined by it. But the voices want to hold me back, and therefore I must run. That's the chipazah. So to understand this, we need to understand the three states of halacha in terms of servants. Evet k'nayni, evet ivri, amma ivriya. Which we're going to get back to. The non-Jewish slave hired by the Jew or bought by the Jew. The Jewish slave or Jewish servant and the Jewish female Servant. In order to understand this, 
He said, we have to understand that we operate on two levels of consciousness. There's the divine soul, the animal soul, and the divine soul is sent down on a shlichus, on a mission. Its wholesomeness and divinity is always absolute and unequivocal. But each of us is given a certain amount of years and circumstances to refine our body and to refine our animal consciousness to refine it, to repair it, to sublimate it, and to elevate it. And now we continue inside. <clears throat> if you didn't hear yesterday's class, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the replay or watch the replay. You can always do it on double speed, so it takes you much less time. Page Kuf Samach Zayin. Again, you have the source sheets on the yeshiva.net, below the video, or on top of the video. It's in two places. You have PDF and source sheets on top. The source sheets on top, you can open and you could read it and see the video. It splits into two. The screen splits into two. And on the right side, you have the script, the text. On the left side, you have the video. Or you could just download a PDF under the video as you wish. Says the Rebbe, Kuf Samach in the middle of the page, the line starts, Ulusake. <clears throat> the way a person refines the animal soul is It must be in a manner in which there is hislapshus. Hislapshus means you enclose yourself in it and you involve yourself in it. You must immerse yourself in it. You cannot remain detached. Everybody feel free to ask questions. Let me make sure it's open. It cannot happen because of an intense revelation of inspiration from above. And as a result of that, all of the animal issues of the soul just cease to be. That's not how it works. One must deal with it. One must immerse himself in it or herself in it. And he explains. There is a concept that sometimes there is a bittle through a tremendous revelation from above, like a sense of ecstasy that comes from a place that's higher than you and it overwhelms you and it creates a sense of bittle. It nullifies it nullifies my pettiness. It nullifies a lot of issues I'm struggling with. There's just an overwhelming reality that enters into my life. That's called a gilui ar alien. And it obliterates a lot of stuff that don't belong to me. The lamayla zau inyan Like in everything... We have a manifestation of this in the Gemara. The Gemara tells us in Masechah Sanhedrin that when Hashem wanted to create the world, He consulted the angels. When He wanted to create man, He consulted the angels. He consulted one group, and they did not approve. They said, God, bad idea. Let's invest in something else. He asked another group, a third group, Everyone disapproved. What did Hashem do? So the Gemara says, He stretched out his little pinky among them, 
and they got burnt. What does this mean? <laughs> you asked them a question. They said something that you didn't that you didn't like, so you burn them. And a little pinky, he takes a little pinky. It's by Akhtana Vesarfam. It's very hard to understand. Obviously, it's a marshal. It's a metaphor. You know, every 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 aspect in Torah is a marshal. We learned in the Mimer of Purim Chayev Inishl Basumar Puraya from the Balatanya in Torah Ayr. But in some areas in Torah, it's obvious that it's a marshal. The only difference between one halacha, one aspect of Torah, and this is one, you don't think it's a marshal, but it's also a marshal. It's also a nimshal, but it's also a marshal. This, it's obvious that it's a marshal, because how are you supposed to understand it? So the explanation is, doesn't mean God took his pinky, put it in them, a fire came and burnt them. It means there was a certain revelation that was above their pay grade, above their paradigm. Automatically, they melted away in ecstasy. And that's why there's the little pinky. The Balatanya writes in one of his discourses that the ten fingers of the hand represent the ten spheres. You start off with number one, the first the first finger, and the five in the right hand, and then in the left hand. You have the ten spheres, the ten faculties of the soul, and the ten faculties, so to speak, of Hashem, the ten characteristics or building blocks of the universe called the ten spheres, the ten points of light. Keser, Chachma, Bina, Chesed, Gvurit, Tiferes, Natsach, Chayd, Yisoyed, and Malchus. What's the pinky? It's Boyaktana is Malchus. Even Malchus, when there's a revelation of Malchus, the Malachim cease to be, Visarfam. They burn up. They melt away in the revelation because they cannot see, they cannot continue to retain their identity, even when it's boy haktana, when there's a revelation of the earth from Malchus, which is the last of the tenth spheres, it's like the pinky. And of course, Hashem was giving them a message. And the message was that the angels, this is very powerful, the angels, in all their spiritual striving and heights, cannot even experience the pinky of the divine. There is so much restriction that is necessary for the information of the divine to be assimilated in their spiritual identity. And it's precisely the soul coming down to earth and dealing with the gravel and the struggle and the filth and the toxicity that is available only on planet earth. Dealing with coronaviruses and every other type of virus, physical, biological, emotional, psychological, and spiritual, that we touch the divine itself, the essence, the core. God wasn't burning up the angels. Don't ask me a question, and then you don't like what I say, and you kill me. Don't ask me. Do what you want. He's explaining to the angels. In a way, he's showing them. He's demonstrating to them. Yes, humanity is capable of corruption. Humanity is capable to descend into the abyss. But it's also capable of touching the deepest truth, the deepest core. What's the... What's the connection here? Harei, that we see this concept that sometimes something could seize, not for, through its own initiative, but there's just a major flow from above, a major inspiration, like a nuclear energy, spiritually. 
V'chein gam lamata yesh bayfum kazah. Just as this exists in above, we have it also down here below. There are moments in life when you experience a tremendous, I don't know, current of spiritual electricity, and it just how it consumes the animal soul. Ach ikir but that's not the ultimate purpose. It's not pnimis. You have to work with yourself. The main kavana is that the refinement of the animal soul and the body should be in a way that it becomes transformed on its own terms. This is called a birur, a zikuch. It becomes refined. And for that you have to be malubish in it, bisaskus. You have to work with it. You have to understand it. You have to relate to it. And then you can educate it. So there's two ways of dealing with my, my animal consciousness. There's two ways of dealing with the I that doesn't see itself as part of infinity, as part of God. One way is, I don't deal with it. Rather, I tune in, which is, which is major. I tune in to a great light, and that light overwhelms me. You know, sometimes a person has a moment of tremendous inspiration, and you think all your problems are gone, uh, all your issues are gone, all your struggles are gone, because you really touch a very deep level of awareness. You touch that pinky that burns up everything else. But the problem is, you were not changed. You were not transformed. You know, I'm talking even if it's authentic. You have sometimes that the whole experience is not authentic. It's just, it's fake. It's more, it's more, you know, you're copying, you're imitating, you're imitating. You're imitating others. You're imitating what you saw in books. You're imitating your community. You're imitating what you felt yesterday, but you're not there. We're not talking about that. We're talking about something even more authentic. Sometimes you really experience a higher reality, a higher light. Maybe it's a moment of tremendous inspiration or joy, tremendous fortune, or conversely, God forbid, a moment of of, of very deep awareness that comes from crisis or adversity. There could be sometimes a flow of the soul, like a, a, a nuclear explosion of your divine soul. And the animal soul melts away. Says the Rebbe, that's all beautiful, but it's not the Tachlis HaKavona. The Kavona is Pnimius, Hislapshus. The godly soul needs to build a relationship with the animal soul. And work on it. And elevate it and sublimate it. For this, I have to dress myself up inside of you. That's called Hislapshus. I have to go in. I can't remain aloof and detached. There's a, a beautiful story that describes this. And then I'll take the questions if there are. There's a question. The Baal HaTanya, the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shnei Zalman of Liadi, had a student, a chassid. And this student once came to the Rebbe, the Baal HaTanya, and he lamented about something. The lament was, he said, he goes to shul in the morning, and until he finds the inner inspiration that 
helps him daven and connect to the Ein Saif, it takes a long time. He needs to wake up, go to shul, and then he said he would learn. He would learn chesedus, learn it, understand it, try to internalize it, think about it, meditate on it, and really connect to it in a very profound way. The Balatanya demanded from his disciples what's called his bainanus. His bainanus is meditation and mindfulness what they call today meditation and mindfulness in all of the issues that he taught and the reason he taught long maimarim and explained them is because he wanted it should be understood within the realm of the person not just academically with your iq but with your eq emotionally and he says, and then after all this, he feels a, a spark, and he's ready to start davening. The problem is, by that time, you know, the minion began already, and he's always catching up, and he feels out of place. And he says, I have a neighbor, somebody who's near me, lives near him, and he davens near him in Shul. And he's a chassid of a friend of the Balatanya, a student of the Magad of Mizrich, a Jew who was, his name was, Reb Chaim Chaikol of a city called Amdur. Amdur. A-M-D-U-R. They called him Reb Chaikol Amdur. And he tells the Balatanya, he says, this disciple of Reb Chaikol, he comes to Shul, he comes from the mikveh, he goes to Shul, on Sebrent, he said, in Yiddish, Sebrent. Sebrent fire. he's alive, he's burning, he's inspired. He goes into davening. This is an explosion of electricity. I don't have it. This was a very serious question. Because if I may say, he was basically confronting the Balatanya. And like asking, you know, where did you go wrong, so to speak? And Reb Chaikal your colleague, a student of the Magad of Mizrich, got it. His student is on fire. And I'm sitting and trying to find the fire. And the Alter Rebbe, very, very moving, the Alter Rebbe did not answer right away. He put his head, he put his forehead down on his hand. He put his hand on his forehead and he went into what's called a hisbainanus, a trance, so to speak. He began meditating. The chassid was standing there in his room and the Rebbe was meditating for a few minutes. And then he emerged from the meditation. The Alter Rebbe used to speak with a niggin, with a melody. There's a few things that we heard tradition from generation to generation, the niggin with which the Alter Rebbe said it. The Alter Rebbe used to speak in a melody. That's how he spoke, even in regular conversation. So I'm going to say over what I heard from Rabbi El Khan, Shlita, the tradition of Hasidim, what the Alter Rebbe told this Jew and with the melody in Yiddish, and then I'll translate the Rebbe said, Er brent, Chaikel brent in em, Un mir villain, As mezolalein brennen. He's on fire. Reb Chaikel, his Rebbe, is burning in him. And we want that you should burn on your own. Your fire should be yours. It should be an independent fire. 
he was teaching him something. This Chassid was a great man. Rabbi Chaikalam Dura was a holy Jew. And the path of many of the students of the Baal Shem Tev, and by the way, there was a disagreement about this. Many of the great Tzaddikim felt that the greatest thing they can give their disciples is the feeling of connection to Hashem. They should feel their neshama, their amuna, and their connection to the tzaddik. And this Jew was so connected to Reb Chaikel, Reb Chaikel's fire was burning in him. And don't underestimate that. This, we're not talking about a fake fire. He closes his eyes, he picks up his hands, and he makes believe that he's on fire. No, Reb Chaikel brent in him. Reb Chaikel's fire is alive in him. Their relationship was deep. And this was generally the idea of many of the students of the Baal Shem Tev, which was an incredible idea to reveal the nuclear energy of the soul, the power of Emunah, in which we're always connected. And you could see this in all of the works of the students of the Baal Shem Tev throughout the generations. The holiness of the Jew, the holiness of the soul, the love of Hashem to every single Jew. This is like, you know, generic, all the students of the Baal Shem Tev don't stop talking about this. How we create an impact in all of the worlds, the connection of the Jewish people, the whole world is... is, is the whole world is, is really a, a spiritual place. Very powerful, uh, inspirational tidbits that help Jews. It triggered the awareness of a soul, of the nefesh al-kiss, as it's called here. And the camaraderie of the Hasidim and their relationship with the tzaddikim and their rebbes and their joy allowed his fire and his spirituality to burn inside of them. And this is what this Hasid is alive with. And it's incredible. But the Alter Rebbe said, what we're talking about here is something else. I don't want my fire should be yours. I need you to find your fire. But what happens if I have a log? I'm a log. I'm not a fire. <laughs> I'm a big log. You ever try to ignite a log? That takes time. <laughs> I can't come and take the log and just put it on fire. It doesn't happen. I spray kerosene. Ooh. You remember in camp when you made a bonfire? The fire wasn't working and then one chacham came, right? With the gasoline, with the kerosene. And he sprayed and suddenly there was a huge fire. Was that impressive or what? It was very impressive. What was the problem? The problem is that five minutes later, the fire is down. So you need new kerosene and new kerosene and new kerosene. And then somebody would come with newspapers and tissue boxes. It's all good, and sometimes it's very important, and it's certainly geschmack. But if you want the fire to be sustained, and sustained throughout a life, and sustained for hundreds of years, and sustained for eternity, the log has to be on fire. And for that, you have to work with it. You have to splinter it, and dissect it, and disintegrate it, and get it to burn. But when it burns, there's a fire here, because there's a fire from within. That fire is not going to cease. That's the idea of Bederich Islapshus. Every Jew is godly, and there's moments of inspiration, and it's mavatal everything else. But here we're talking about that the animal soul should burn, the nefesh Bahamas should burn. That's why the Balatanya explained, he wanted to explain. You'll see his Maimarim are so long and elaborate. Why? It's not just that he had a pen, he wrote more. The style, his shit of chassidus, it's called, that's why it's called, he called it chassidus chabad, chachma bin adas. Why? He wanted, he felt that 
the animal soul you have to speak to, you have to educate it. So you have to understand it, you have to explain it to it. And then you can discipline it, educate it, refine it. That's called hislapshos. Let's take questions. Does the animal soul, welcome John, does the animal soul lose power in relation to the godly soul, or do we learn how to more usefully incorporate the animal soul? Are they completely separate or a continuum? That's an excellent question. And the answer is, of course, both are true. It depends. There's different states of consciousness and stages in a person's life. Ultimately, everything is one. <laughs> one of the Kabbalists, uh, known as Rabbi Abu Lefiya, he writes, the early Kabbalists, Yud and He and Vav and He, Hashem's name is Yetzer HaToiv V'Yetzer Hara. The Mishnah says in Brachas 54, Ultimately, everything is one. Everything is one. And the animal soul is not evil. It's an animal. An animal is not evil. An animal could be very cute and very lovable and very charming. We all know that. Animals can also be dangerous. There's a domesticated animal and there's an undomesticated beast. There's a wild animal that devours, and then there's a much more subtle and refined animal. We have different nefesh abhamases. So ultimately, everything is one. But there's a process. Sometimes, the way of dealing with my animal soul is I just have to say no. That's called iskafia, subjugation. Sometimes, there's transformation. It's like with a child, educating a child. How do you educate a child? You never deplete the energy of the child. Sometimes you just have to say no, no, no. He may not understand it, but he'll be thankful one day. That's what healthy discipline is. The ultimate point, uh, though, is education. The ultimate point is that you want to inculcate the values within the child so that he or she should be able to make it their own. So both are very, very true. But ultimately, we have to incorporate the animal soul. We're not dealing about two separate entities. Yes, there's sometimes, as part of the process, I just have to say no. There's the Shinaverov, the Divri Yecheskel, one of the great uh, Polish Hasidic masters, the son of the Tzanzarov, writes that when Yosef is asked by Potiphar's wife to be with him, so it says, Vayimoin, he refused, and there's a Shalshelis. The, the cantillation, the musical note on that word is very unique. And he refused. It's a little strange. This is in Parshas Vayesha. So Shinoverov said, in Yiddish he said, Yosef had gezot, nein, nein, nein. <laughs> Joseph said, no, no, no. <laughs> he didn't hear it the first time? No, no, no. Now, I don't know if Yosef spoke in Yiddish to the wife of Potiphar, but I guess no, no, no is something that exists in every language. In other words, sometimes I'm not capable of refining my animal soul in the sense that it's fully and eagerly and enthusiastically is following my divine soul, my infinity, my invincibility, my alignment with with cosmic oneness. Sometimes I have to say no, but the ultimate is, as you say, you want to incorporate. 
So the di- next question. So the discourse is saying that we need to run away, not stay in the reality, quote-unquote, but to face the problem, and sometimes you need to run away. But how do I know if I'm not running away from fixing the problem? So I'm sad, depressed, feel trapped in my problems, and I'm going to do and dance or drink. (laughs) Okay. Does that mean running away to a solution or running away, going deeper into the problem? Excellent question. Excellent question. In other words, we learned here two paradoxical ideas. They had to run away from Egypt, but now you're telling me you have to work with your animal soul. In other words, you're not supposed to run away. But then you tell me sometimes you have to run away and you have to say no. So how do you know if you're running away from fixing the problem, maybe? Or no, you're running away from the problem. So somebody feels trapped, they're sad, they're depressed, they have a lot of problems. What, what's what's the right solution? <laughs> and it's running away. They go drinking or dancing or 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 or, or what's up in their websites. Is that is that running away? When the Jews ran away from Egypt, <laughs> well, I guess they did some dancing and drinking, but they ran towards Sinai. They split a sea. They ran towards Sinai. Somebody once emailed me a very interesting question. Actually, very similar to your question. When somebody is dealing with any type of difficulty, any external or internal difficulties, sometimes we say that what they're doing in response to this is not good for them. For example, all types of addictions which is basically a person running away from something. They're running away from a pain. They're running away from a problem. As we often say, addiction is not the problem. Addiction is the solution. (laughs) It's a bad solution. It's a destructive solution, but it's a solution. Now you have to find out what the problem is. So the person asked me, very similar to you, how do you know if you're going away from the problem and it's bad for you, you should stay in the problem. Or you say, no, make yourself feel better. Don't stay in the problem. Like, is it really a mitzvah to wallow in my problems? Absolutely not. So I should run away from my problems and make myself feel better, right? Excellent. So when is that constructive and when is that destructive? This is a cardinal and vital question in life. And probably one of the better answers... I've heard for this is depends where you're running to. It depends where you're running to. And I want you to understand this. Let me just give a practical illustration. You know, I, we always speak about giving a muscle to understand the nimshal. So instead of saying the idea and then giving an illustration, let me give you an illustration and I think you'll get the idea immediately. Now, the world has changed in the last few weeks dramatically. So it's very hard to give right now an illustration about this example that I'm giving seems a little archaic, but I'm just going to give it anyway because I think it's a concept we'll all relate to. Somebody lost their job. They lost their job. And I know many people are struggling now and 
and everyone is in a predicament and a difficult situation. And it's really a time to strengthen each other and empower each other and, and pray for each other, even in terms of financial stability and prosperity. And I bless all of you and all of us with good health and prosperity and harchava during these challenging times. You lost your job. You used to have a great job. You were a manager in a high-end store, a franchise, a very successful brand. And you were, you were, you were up there. Or you had a very good job in a bank. You had a very good job in any other industry. And you walk in and you're fired. And suddenly you have a new life. Okay. Example number two. You thought your marriage was decent and suddenly, boom, this cracks all over the place and a major crisis in your marriage. I'm just giving two examples, very practical examples that happens to people, unfortunately, not so infrequently. What do I do now? It's a mitzvah for me to now remain miserable and wallow in the quagmire of despair. I lost my job. My marriage is horrible. My life is over. What I want to run away from it. I want to feel better. I want to feel like a man. I want to feel like a bench. I want to have a normal life. I want to wake up in the morning with joy. Here are two choices. Choice number one is, I start staying in shul. Not now. Now you shouldn't stay in shul. But I start staying in shul till 11 o'clock at night. So by the time I come home, everyone is sleeping. Shabbos morning, I stay at the Kiddush for four hours eating up all the herring and drinking all the schnapps, and I come home one thirty or 2 o'clock, and everyone is just doing their own thing. And in shul, I forgot my problems. I was drinking. I was socializing. I was making jokes with people who don't know about my issues. Yeah. I quit my job, and now at night I'm in a bar, or I'm surfing the web, or I'm hanging out with people. Did I run away from my problem? I run, ran away from my problem. Did I deal with my problem? No. On the contrary. The void remains. I wake up tomorrow morning and the pain is still there. And not only that, the void increases. Because every time I run away from it unsuccessfully, the void becomes even more powerful. And now I need more entertainment, more distractions to cover up the pain. So what did I do? I only intensify the pain, which means I have to intensify the distractions, which means that tomorrow I have to distract myself doubly. And then the next day, three times, four times, and then I have to quadruple the distractions. And then, God forbid, at some point, I don't even recognize myself. And at some point I may delude myself. These are not distractions. This is life, which means now I am really in a messed up situation because I substitute truth with lies. But there's another way of dealing with my problems, not to be stuck in the quagmire. And the other way is maybe recreating a new schedule for myself. Maybe seeking new opportunities talking to somebody openly. Part of that may be, I have to break down and sob. Looking for new direction, finding new alternatives, going deeper into myself and challenging myself. Yes, and doing things that are enjoyable and meaningful and inspiring. 
but not to run away from the void, to actually go on a path that will fill the void. This person is having a miserable marriage. Yes, I could start drinking. I could go dancing every night. Beautiful. It's great to dance. But am I filling the void or am I running away from the void? That's the big difference. If I'm running away from the void, I'm not helping myself. I'm making it much worse. I'm not running away from Egypt. I'm not being liberated. I'm in slavery. I'm allowing the void to define my life. I didn't leave Mitzrayim, you understand? I didn't run away. I thought I ran away. I made believe I ran away. I didn't run away. I'm stuck in the abyss of Egypt to the point that it's controlling everything, including my entertainment, which is basically not something I want or I need. It's not bringing me closer to my truer values. And this is the question you have to ask yourself. What are your truer values? What are your truest values? And what you're doing, is it bringing you closer to that or bringing you further than that? If the distraction is taking me away from my inner values and what I really want, you want a good marriage. You want to be able to support your family. You want your children should have what they need. You want to be able to have a good relationship in your house. Those are real values. Is what you're doing promoting those values, growing towards those values, helping those values? That's awesome. If what you're doing is not... You're not running away from anything. You're running further into the hole. You're taking Egypt and say, come, 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 come with me. It's completely defining my life. And that's the choice every person has to make. So running away does not mean I don't know my animal soul. Running away does not mean I don't identify the void and the pain. Running away does not mean I don't identify the traps. I identify it very, very much. But sometimes I have to be able to tell myself, right now I'm going to pursue my value, not my toxicity. Miriam was dancing and singing, praising Hashem. Yes, that dance is absolutely, absolutely vital and wonderful and inspirational. I think the previous questionnaire meant a different type of dancing. Another question. Today we must also make haste. We have to run and isolate from today's plague. Burning on the Rebbe's fire is spoon feeding, but one must burn and feed oneself to mature. Well said. So we continue. The line starts, V'zichuch, V'zichuch. Yeah, okay. One more. Yeah, I did this one. I did all the questions for them. The line starts, We see this the way the soul interacts with the body. The soul doesn't remain detached. The soul is grasped by, by the body. The soul assumes a material identity, a material incarnation, by manifesting itself in physical life. Legabi Ruchni is hanefesh relative to the pure, transcendent spirituality of the soul. Umikol makoim. Hare hanefesh mezgalabaguf. Shemanigasaguf. And yet the soul is manifested in the body, through the body. It leads the body. Shai 
על ידי זה מזכך עשה איברים, שעל ידי האסאסקוס בכל כוח, על ידי זה מזכך עשה איבר ההוא. The soul's relationship to the body is not from above. It's manifested through the vessels, through the infrastructure of the organism, of biology. That's why today there could be people who say we don't even have a soul. Why? The symbiosis between the soul and the body is so powerful that it looks like there's only a body. Some scientists and neurologists argue there's not even such a thing as a soul. We're basically machines. There's biochemical systems, there's electrical signals, and every emotion that we have, every experience that we have can be rooted in some button. What is that? It's not because there's no soul, it's because the soul is completely manifested within the body. So the body and the soul become one to the point that they're inseparable. And for the soul, that is a unique experience because the soul is really pristine transcendence, pristine spirituality. And yet, it's manifested within the structure of the organism and, and, it leads the body and it refines the body. When we work with the faculties of our soul, says with the power of your mind, the power of emotions, all the faculties, you actually refine and educate and enhance the particular limbs and organs. That's all of the body is a vessel for the light of the soul. Then the soul is manifested in the body and affects the body because that which is enclosed in the garment can rule that which is dressing it up. It's like I'm riding my horse. The horse is now under my jurisdiction. I am dressed up in my garment and I direct it. So the soul is dressed up in the body, and the body becomes a lavush, a conduit for the soul. When the body is not a vessel for the soul, we're talking here even the animal soul, there is a concept where the soul of a person becomes reincarnated in the body of an animal. In that situation, the Malbish, the one who dresses up the soul, now rules that which is dressed up in it, because the soul can't be revealed there. Instead of the soul calling the shots, the animal calls the shots. When a soul of a person is reincarnated into a behemoth, when you look at that animal, you just see an animal. The soul is now completely defined and it's led to the destination where the animal wants to go. And the animal is just interested in what an animal is interested in. By a human being, we can also be that way. But we have the capacity that the body should follow the soul instead of the soul following the body. The body becomes a conduit, it becomes a lavush, an expression, a channel for the soul's energy. Not that it eclipses the soul, but that's because there is a relationship. The biological organism of the animal is not a vessel, its chemistry is not made for the human consciousness, for the human soul. So this is a very interesting experiment. You take the human soul, so to speak, 
and place it in a behemoth, an animal. That's what certain Gilgulim reincarnations are. And what happens? The animal remains an animal. The mouse remains a mouse. The cat remains a cat, and the dog remains a dog. You can teach the old dog lots of tricks, maybe even new tricks, but it remains a cat, it remains a dog, it remains whatever animal it is. Why? Because the organism, the biological organism of the animal is not one that is created in a way that it could become a manifestation of the nefesh, of the consciousness of a human being. It's a different type of soul and a different type of body, even though the DNA is so similar. But there are those tiny fractions, those tiny little differences that make a universe of difference. In the body of a person is a keli, it's a vessel, it's a receptacle for the light of the soul. So the soul can be expressed in the body and therefore it could rule the body, it can direct it which is what the body wants, what the body needs. Like a, like a child, like a mother with a child. Imagine the mother tells the, mo- the child, tells the mother what to do. Usually the case, but a child wants direction. Just as it's true generally with the soul and the body, from this we can understand, in the souls themselves, the animal soul and the godly soul. The godly soul is not removed. It's grasped. It's manifested in and through the animal soul. And this means that this is a tremendous transformation for the godly soul. You can't compare the godly soul pre its being enclosed in the animal soul to the godly soul Post its being enclosed in the animal soul. Even though the animal soul is completely in a different plane than the divine soul. But this is part of what we say in the blessing of Asher after we we move our bowels, God heals all flesh and he makes wonders. What is this talking about? So the Ramah says in Shulchan Aruch, this is the connection of the soul and the body, is mafli lasas. In the soul itself, the connection of the divine soul and the animal soul is part of mafli lasas to be able to connect it to. But they have to be connected because the nefesh elikis wants to work in and through the nefesh of Bahamas. Not remain detached. The nefesh is the godly soul on its own, its actions, its experiences, its inner consciousness is purely divine. Both in terms of awareness, in terms of emotion, in terms of love, and in terms of awe. Seichel midis avavir. But as it comes into the human, to human life, to the body's life, it doesn't remain detached, doesn't remain sitting in its ivory tower. It becomes married, so to speak, tucked in, attached, connected, and one with the animal soul. They're working together. It's like you're dressed up in a garment, and the garment, the hand and the glove, and the glove is just a conduit that holds onto the hand, and it expresses the hand. It could express the hand. 
And for this, there has to be a very deep relationship, an ongoing relationship. You got to know your animal soul. I'm always working with my animal soul. That's the point. Just like the soul and the body, the soul becomes the body. The soul becomes one with the body. The body becomes soulful. It's not two separate things anymore. The soul lives in heaven and the body lives on earth. That's the uniqueness. People think that is everything. There's nothing else. There's only a body. That's how unified the two become. Psychiatrist once told me, look, you give this medication and the person is uh, the mood stabilizer. There's nothing else. It's a machine. You press this button and you turn on this light. You press this button, you turn this mic on, you turn this. Everything is buttons. Completely denying the idea of, of transcendent consciousness. And, and it's true that till today, consciousness remains an enigma. Everybody will admit even the greatest atheists in the world, we don't know how consciousness happened. Where did it come from? Especially human consciousness. Where, where did it come from? Where, where, how did this this machine suddenly have so many opinions and so many struggles? Why does my video machine have to not have to go to therapy? Why does my mic not have to go to therapy? <laughs> He's just a mechanical machine. He has no identity crisis. Where did the identity crisis come from? Why am I questioning my identity? Who I am? Who am I? And the answer is because I am not material. I am not a machine. I am a divine soul. And this divine soul is manifested in the animal soul. And there's a unique relationship where they connect. Question, Reb David. How do we know that our light is ours and not someone's, someone else's? Excellent question. How do you know the light is yours and it's not borrowed from somebody else? The answer is... You become an ambassador of light to others. When you own something, you can share it with many, many others. When you don't own something, the impact is very limited. To give an example, if I understand something very well, I can explain it to anybody. Because I could use different metaphors that relate to that person. If I don't really understand it well, if I'm just repeating what I heard from you, I could repeat what you said, but I can't really bring it to other places. I can't be original. When you own your light, you become a tremendous ambassador of light. You become a shliach, a messenger that brings that light to many other people. Not your light, that helps people reveal their light. Because you own it. It's really yours. That's number one. Number two... You know that the light is yours when it's always there. It may be concealed, but it's there. It's there. What do I mean it's there? It resonates with you. It's in in, in, in a very deep place. It's truth resonates with you. It's It's digested. My own light I can digest. I can't digest your light. You know when food digests well, when you eat healthy and it digests well, the body almost thanks you and like, ooh, that was good. When you're in touch with your own light, the animal soul celebrates, the godly soul celebrates. It's yours. It resonates. Your entire system celebrates it. 
because there is an there is a oneness there. There's an intimacy there. But for this, you have to be very, very honest. You cannot understand anything we're talking about if you're not very honest with yourself. Meaning, if your Judaism is dishonest, and a lot of it is just fooling yourself and deceiving yourself and copying other people and making believe you're inspired, you're not going to relate to this. You're not even going to want to relate to this because it's going to challenge everything. So we all really have to shed, shed is the word, all those layers and really be able to look in my own mirror and uh, ask myself if it's my light. Now, it's great to get light from other people, but ultimately I have to make it mine. I'll finish with a word from the Kotzke Rebbe. It's a beautiful insight from the Kotzke Rebbe. It says in the Medrash, I don't remember the whole Medrash now, but the Medrash speaks about how human beings go through all the stages of life, and at every stage we emulate a different animal. <laughs> because we speak about the Nefesh Bahamas. At every stage of life, we emulate a different animal. You know, he starts off, he says, <clears throat> when a child is born, he's like a king. You know, everyone is, is holding him and honored by him. He says, then he becomes like a chazer, like a swine, going into dirty, dirty places. He says, at some point, he becomes like a uh, a goat, just jumping, jumping, jumping everywhere. He says at the age of 20, he becomes like a horse, beautifying himself, trying to attract the other gender. He says he gets married and he becomes like a, like a, a donkey. You're just carrying the burden of, of, you know, paying mortgages and paying tuition and paying the bills. You, you become like a chamar. You become like a donkey. And he goes on, he, different, different stages. I forgot the other ones. It's in Kehelis, Medrash Rabbah Kehelis. At the end, he says, in his older life, he becomes kekaif. He becomes like a chimpanzee. Like a, like a monkey, a malpa. Kekaif. And the question is why? What is why? So some say, because he imitates. So who's he imitating? So some say, you know, Zaidi makes all these tricks to entertain the grandchildren. The Kotzke Rebbe said something amazing. You know who he imitates? You know, a monkey or imitates people. He says, you know who he imitates at old age? He imitates himself. He copies himself. In other words, I become a certain person and then I just copy myself. Oh, I did this yesterday. I have to do this today. Oh, I did this today, I do this tomorrow. In other words, there is who I am. Imagine I project my identity on a canvas, and then every day I look at the canvas and say, oh, that's who I am. I don't recreate myself from within. There's no ingenuity, there's no creativity. I'm just a copy of myself. I become a certain person at a certain age, and then I just copy myself. He says, that's what it means. He says, at a certain age, you're a monkey. You're imitating yourself. You're not yourself anymore. You're just imitating yourself. You're not creating yourself from within. There's no originality anymore. There's no creativity anymore. It's just who I was yesterday, I am today. I was angry at you yesterday, I'm angry at you today. I was depressed yesterday, I'm depressed today. I was insecure yesterday, I was secure today. I was arrogant yesterday, I'm arrogant today. I was smart yesterday, I'm smart today. 
And even if I was humble yesterday, I'm humble today. I don't find the newness. Any more questions? Okay, so my dear friends, we're going to take a break here. I do want to invite everybody to the many classes we are having today in the state of quarantine. Please join us. Let me tell you the schedule. Uh, Now we're going to have a class in Gemara. And 1 o'clock, we're going to be learning a Rashi in Parshas Vayakel, uh, based on an extraordinary uh, talk and shear by the Lubavitcher Rebbe Lekutei Siches, Parshas Vayakel, analyzing a fascinating Rashi in Vayakel. Title is, When Leaders Are Lazy. 4.30, we're having a special children's program. Children are home. 4.30 p.m., join us for a special children's program. You're not done yet. It's a busy day. 9 o'clock p.m., we continue part two of last night's shear in Parshas Pekudeh, when Moshe blesses the Jewish people. And that's going to be 9 o'clock p.m. today, this evening, all here on theyeshiva.net. Please share with your families and friends. You could find the links on the homepage of theyeshiva.net. If you go to schedule, you could see the schedule. And finally, tomorrow morning, 7 o'clock, hope to see you. Be'ezir Hashem, I bless you to have a healthy day, an inspiring day, a meaningful day. Utilize the time well. Don't run away, but rather use this time for deeper closeness, closeness with yourself, closeness with Hashem, and closeness with your loved ones. I give you a virtual hug and love and blessings and stay healthy. And may we experience very soon a renewal a renewal of consciousness, a renewal of awareness, a renewal of oneness, and a renewal in our whole planet, because our whole planet is now feeling the oneness. We're all so connected. It's interesting, right? It took us, we had to separate from each other in order to be connected to each other. Have a wonderful day. There's more questions, but I'll take them tomorrow. Another few questions, we'll take it tomorrow. Okay. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.